0: Welcome to God Knows Where, I'm Brett Harris. A spooky season is coming to an end, and I know for some of you, it's a really sad occasion for this season to come to an end. And I know that we've talked about some scary stories so far this fall, but today is one spooky story that's titled alone, Stokes Fear, The Desolating Sacrilege. It's in three gospels, and it conveniently gets carved out of what we read in church when we read from these gospels. And with a name like that, it felt appropriate for today. Let me know what you think. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook. You can drop me a message there anytime. And don't forget to leave a review or a rating of the show if you haven't already. And check out Good Faith Media's latest articles about native wisdom, including Mitch Randall's recent article, The Echoes of the American Buffalo. It's good stuff. Check it out. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a happy Halloween. Next week, I'll share more about what's coming up at God Knows Where for the holiday season, so get ready for that. For now, though, enjoy today's episode, Horror Story. A reading from Mark 13. But when you see the desolating sacrilege, set up where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Someone on the housetop must not go down or enter the house to take anything away. Someone in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not be in winter. For in those days there will be suffering, such as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now. No, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has cut short those days. And if anyone says to you at that time, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be alert. I have already told you everything. I'm terrible at predicting the end of things. I didn't see Bran winning the Game of Thrones. I don't think I've once picked the correct winner of the Great British Bake Off. And I am decidedly for a Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey wedding, despite all previous signs and all the PR pointing to an epic breakup. And there were two endings to Jordan Peele's movie, Get Out. And I didn't see either one coming. When I think I know how something is going to end or play out or whatever, I'm always wrong. Do not give me a true or false question. I'll overthink it and get it wrong. I go into most scenarios, job interviews, tests, you name it, trying not to think about what I want to happen because there's this fear I have that whatever I think will happen won't. But there's one thing I can guarantee you. I know where this little discussion we're having today is headed and you have no idea where that is. The title this story gets in all three places it's told. Every gospel but John is the desolating sacrilege. How there has yet to be a horror movie with that title, I don't know. I think that title alone is one of the more terrifying titles in all of the Bible. And I think that's why we avoid it. It sounds like a horror story in the middle of all the good news we get about Jesus. And we don't really have time for a horror story in the middle of all that. And this story, this desolating sacrilege, it is a horror story. There's something, something so sacrilegious, an item or a practice that will desolate, destroy, bring to rubble the temple, and also in some ways the people who built it, God's children. Daniel talked about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all talk about it. Jesus' disciples are terrified of it, and they're asking Jesus when this is going to happen and how they will know. That it's happening, so what is this thing that can bring so much destruction and damage and cause so much fear in so many people? Well, in each of the mentions of this desolating sacrilege in those books, the author's picture a little different. Daniel fears its Antiochus, the fourth Epiphanes making pagan sacrifices in the temple. Mark worries about Caligula wanting his image hung in the temple, and others lament general Roman insignia adorning the temple. But the common denominator is that the desolating sacrilege is the presence of a symbol of or a sacrifice by a non-Jewish emperor inside the Jewish temple. It's an homage to secular power in a space reserved for honoring God's sacred presence. It's the state replacing the fixtures on a religious altar with its own sacrifices. To bring it into the present, it could be a flag at the front of a sanctuary for the whole congregation to look at and see as the pastor preaches them the good news of Jesus Christ, which sometimes conflicts with our pursuit of happiness. This is what Jesus tells them will be the sign of which to be aware, the state the empire, whatever we want to call it, establishing its presence inside the house of God. See, I told you you had no idea where this was going, didn't I? And if you're feeling a bit squirmy about all that, allow me to explain. When we read this story, if we read it at all, we focus on the armies and the wars and the earthquakes. We get distracted by the explosions and the battles. But Jesus paints a different picture. He doesn't start with the effects. He starts with the causes. It doesn't start with the armies. It starts inside the temple, what's inside the temple, what is allowed, even welcomed, inside its holy and sacred spaces. When the state or the empire starts claiming space within God's house, watch out, Jesus says run to the mountains, don't turn back. When the state starts replacing religious practices or reshaping religious practices and spaces to meet its own ends, when it starts bringing its own forms of worship into the temple, be afraid. That's what Jesus said, not me, Jesus. But doesn't that already happen? Isn't that already happening? Hasn't that been happening for centuries? Haven't we always struggled with the separation of church and state, no matter how much we want there to be a firm divide between the two? It's been a problem for the history of Christianity. Here's an example. Take, for instance, Grace Memorial Episcopal Church. In 1844, Grace was founded in Lexington, Virginia. Twenty-one years later, after the Confederate Army surrendered at Appomattox, General Robert E. Lee, a member of Grace Church, was named to the vestry, the leadership body within that congregation. He died in 1870, five years later, and 33 years after his death, as other monuments to the Confederacy were going up all over the South, Grace Church voted to rename their congregation Robert E. Lee Memorial Episcopal Church. The name stood until 2017, when it was voted by a slim majority, 7 to 5, to return the church to grace. So, 33 years after his death, 38 years after the end of the Civil War, and for 114 years into the future, a house of prayer and worship was named for, and in honor and memory of, a man who led the forces that sought to enshrine slavery forever in America. Lee's lingering presence was so strong for so long that a friend of mine once told me that he overheard a tourist say to a tour guide in Lexington, I thought all Episcopal churches were named for saints. To which the tour guide replied, They are. Now, we can laugh uncomfortably at that story. But it's not just such stark examples that highlight the state's presence within our religious space or our willingness and desire to reify political figures. In our houses of worship. It's not even flags or prayers or inviting elected officials to speak during worship services or hymnals like most churches who use them have that have a section dedicated to patriotic songs. It's not even worship services that I've heard about on Independence Day with flyovers and men and women in full combat gear repelling into the sanctuary. It's not all of that. It's where all of this can lead us. I was a Baptist pastor of a congregation that took being Baptist very seriously and firmly held to the separation of church and state. We never flew or stood the American flag inside the sanctuary. I shared this with some non-Baptists once, and I got a letter a couple of weeks later from one of their friends, a retired Army chaplain who lambasted me for not flying an American flag inside or even on the grounds of our church. He regaled me of all the sacrifices men and women had made to give us the freedom to worship there. And look, I don't disagree with them. Too many people have given up far too much to give you and me the freedom we have to give me the freedom to talk about what I'm talking about today and to give you the freedom to listen and decide if you agree or disagree with my take. He is right. That chaplain is right. I just happen to disagree with him about bringing the symbols of those sacrifices into the places where we're supposed to bring our sacrifices, our own sacrifices, our tithes, our offerings, our prayers, and our confessions to God. I struggle because I think Jesus was right. I think he was right in what he says here that we rarely, if ever, read. When the state and religion come together, too often bad things happen. The state begins to look like the church, and the church begins to look like the state, and it becomes hard to tell the difference between the two. It's hard to know if what we're doing is a fulfillment of God's vision for us, or a failure of our willingness to follow Jesus' lead. And once that confusion starts, we have no idea when or how it will end. And Matthew and Mark and Luke, they didn't know how it would end either. All three of them tell this same story in many of the same ways, but none of their stories end the same way. They all put different words in Jesus' mouth as he concludes this conversation. In Matthew, Jesus says, Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In Mark, it's, Be alert. I've already told you everything. And in Luke Jesus closes with, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Three of the four people who've preserved the story of Jesus's life and ministry on earth weren't collectively clear on where this prophecy Jesus made would go. How it would all play out when the desolating sacrilege was found inside the temple. What would happen in the end? But they all agreed on one thing. It wouldn't end well. So, as Jesus admonishes us in Mark, we've got to pay attention. We've got to trust that the example Jesus set, the way he lived his life, the things he taught us, the ways he taught us to pray and to live and to heal, all the things he taught us to do, his entire example, the wisdom and the witness he gave us, that it will guide us toward a brighter and better and more hopeful future. And we have to keep our eyes open and our minds open to the ways power and politics can corrupt the sacred and the spiritual in our midst. Because if we don't, if we turn a blind eye or keep quiet when we need to speak up, we risk, as Jesus warns us here, ending up living in a horror movie where everyone is running away and scattered to the ends of the earth, where there's confusion and fear and terror. We can end up living in a horror movie. And that never works out well for anyone. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family, and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them and your eyes and see through them and your hearts and set them on fire.